episode of Researcher Revealed. Today, we have with us the Associate Professor of Personalized Care from the University of Southampton, Lindsay Cherry. She's a podiatrist, and she's joined us today to share her experiences and her thoughts all around mentorship. Have a listen. Hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to the Researcher Revealed podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Associate Professor Lindsay Cherry from the University of Southampton, who's joining us to share her insights around mentorship. Um, Lindsay, tell us who you are and um, why research? Oh, gosh. Um, So I'm... Lindsay Cherry, everyone calls me Linz or Lindsay. Uh, I'm a podiatrist by Ooh. background uh, and I've worked uh, in in the UK um, for nearly 20 years now as a podiatrist and academic, try, trying really hard to get good at research um, and blend that with clinical practice along the way. Ah, very cool. Well, I can't wait to dive into this with you. But before we get started, um, on my podcast, we start every episode with a little bit of fun, um, just trying to get to know you a little bit better so the researchers can kind of see a little bit of who you are and how you work. Yeah. Are you ready? Okay. All right. Are you a Windows or Mac? Oh, Windows. Have right. got a clue how to work a Mac. <laughs> <laughs> Me either. <laughs> Tea or coffee? Oh, coffee. Oh, Okay. Uh, when you write, music or silence? Oh, music. Ooh, what kind? Um, I love country music, <laughs> <laughs> um, but generally any kind of noise. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And where do you tend to work? Uh, oh, all over the place. I like okay. moving around and I like being in different places. I like busy places. Oh, yeah. controversial noise <laughs> and a busy space. Yeah. Interesting. What time of day are you most productive? Oh, about 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> so this is really pushing you out of your comfort this zone. This is stretching <laughs> me right now. <laughs> We're recording this in the morning for everybody out there who doesn't know. Um, and what is your favorite referencing manager? Uh, I use EndNote, but that is because I'm a complete technophobe. So I've learned how to use it. I know how to do that. And the idea of battling different software fills me with fear. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. I've recently started to try and learn Zotero. Good luck. (laughs) I'm sure it's very good for any Zotero (laughs) people out there. Um, and what is your favorite data li- data visualization tool? Oh gosh, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. No. How do you make your figures? Ah, uh, I don't know. I have very smart people that help me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So your data exactly. visualization tool is people. I love it's, it. Yeah, <laughs> but the other people who are really good at that. Could, I love it. That's perfect. That. Um, You've got favorite... the gist already that I'm very, very bad <laughs> at technology. <laughs> um, favorite dust snack? Oh, anything sugary. Um, I live off caffeine and sugar. I would nice. say I love a, a Kit Kat chunky. Ooh. Oh, For I any students listening out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And when or if you do things like plan, organize, journal, are you, I'm going to guess the answer to this question, but okay. I've still got to ask it. Okay. Are you a digital or analog? <laughs> um, I am there with my pen and paper and I have my still my hard copy written diary and my hard copy little list book and I carry both of those around with me everywhere I go (laughs) actually I do a combination but I'm a pen and paper girl I mean I do try I do try but I think that's the thing of having multiple roles across multiple organizations that's my yeah reason and I'm sticking with it yeah me too a hundred percent okay uh what book are you currently reading Oh, I am reading uh, a book called, I was just looking up for it, um, This Child of Mine um, by an author called Emma Claire Wilson. Uh-huh. Um, and it's an absolute tearjerker. Oh, um, it's, it's um, just a really lovely work of fiction. And um, uh, absolute disclaimer, Emma Claire is an, a long term friend of mine and I'm so proud of her for writing Aww. and publishing her novel. So absolutely shout out to, to Emma and encourage everyone to read her novel because it's brilliant. So in the description of this episode, we'll put a, um, her the name of the book and her Amazing. name so that other people can link and find it. So we'll sort that out. Cool. Um and the last question is who, it doesn't matter whether they're alive or dead, a researcher who you admire. Oh, gosh. Um, there are so many. There are so many. I absolutely, so close to home, there's a mm-hmm. researcher called um, Professor Cathy Bowen. Oh, and yeah. I think she is absolutely awesome. And is somebody who's kind of quietly brilliant but actually when you look at what she's achieved through her career it's astonishing so absolutely admire her um and then there's another lady in the UK called Professor Anne-Marie Keenan okay um who is just a brilliant example of female leadership in in research um so check her out I will definitely do that. that Yeah, that that's that's all of my questions. I told you it'd be yeah. fun. Everybody gets really <laughs> nervous because I think they think I'm going to ask like something really deeply personal. But like the whole aim of this podcast is to get to know the person who's behind the research, because reading those papers can sometimes feel a bit cold. Mm. And in my role as a nurse researcher myself, having the opportunity to get to talk to people like mm. yourselves. I love hearing the stories that go behind those people and it gives me such a better appreciation for why they're researching, what they're researching, the methods that they use, who they're collaborating with. So mm-hmm. that's sort of, that's why we do it. And it's also fun. Yeah. So why not? <laughs> Perfect. So let's launch right into it. You've already given away a couple of things. So one, you work at the university. Yeah. Two, you're clinical academic. So that blend of clinical work and academic work. And you're also a podiatrist. Yeah. So what I like to hear, because I'm fascinated by this, is how did you get into research? Because I'm imagining, and call me crazy here, mm. but 
I've not heard of a lot of podiatrists no. who do research. So, so how did you how did you come to the dark side? Yeah, I know there's there really are not oh, there's not a lot of podiatrists anyway, um, but but even fewer um, I suppose actively involved in research. And I so I came to podiatry as a second degree, so that's the first okay. thing. And I didn't think that I was very academic. And mm-hmm. if I could have done podiatry without going to university, I would have. Because I thought, oh, oh, it's okay. just not the place for me. I don't fit mm-hmm. in there. I'm not really smart enough. But I had to go and do this degree. And I was just really lucky that when I went and studied podiatry, there were some brilliant lecturers who just mm-hmm. gave me a bit of a nudge and a bit of confidence and said, maybe, Lindsay, you could do this. And when I finished my undergrad degree, mm-hmm. there was um, this internship scheme that was running for podiatrists and it was quite small at the time um and again so this was so Kathy Bowen um (laughs) and Professor Tony Redmond who's based up in Leeds and then some others were running this scheme and it literally was at kind of 12 weeks in the summer between when you graduate and when you start your job so that you could just go and be introduced to research in their different units um and honestly I kind of thought I'm not really sure about it but there's a gap between when I finish and when I can start work (laughs) so maybe I'll give it a go um (laughs) so even then I was a bit on the fence but you know as soon as I did this internship it was like oh my gosh this is what research is wow and it was a whole new world and I was just absolutely in awe of the people I met um and that unlocked unlocked the door and it started from there okay so I'm guessing then those lecturers um Kathy Bowen the other professor who found you for lack yeah. of a better word to say. <laughs> yeah. um were they then like was it just casual conversations like was it mentorship was it coaching like how did how did that relationship start that inspired you to be brave enough to go for this internship yeah. in this thing that for you you're like dude I can't spell my name I'm not smart enough which is yeah. all lies by the way because you're here 20 years later so get... well we're hanging in there <laughs> so I, I do you know so I didn't recognize it as mentorship at the time but okay. looking back I can say that was my first real experience of what mentorship was and could be. And it was people. So the internship was structured, but actually it was more personal than that. You know, there were two of us who were interns in these units and it it meant that. All of a sudden there was a relationship with these really awesome people okay who then it felt like they genuinely took an interest in us and supported us and it and gave me that real personal advice and guidance and kind of inspiration and it was the internship ended Mm -hmm. but I I mean maybe I'm just that annoying student you know but I the (laughs) 
I kind of kept in touch, you know? but I, I'd like to think that was okay and welcomed. Um, and that, but that that mattered because then it, then I understood. Now I I want to do this. Okay, how do I do this? And then through their advice and guidance and what I now see as mentorship, they were able to through light touch, through ad hoc kind of communications, but on the that frequency that I needed it I was able to okay I went and did some years in clinical practice but alongside that did some papers that went to conference and still did a bit of work so I was building my CV so that then when I was ready to apply for the next thing Mm. I had that academic team around me I had the right things on my CV and a bit of luck you know the wind blowing in the right direction but without that early mentorship, there's no way I'd be here as a researcher today. Absolutely yeah. instrumental. So, so with that in mind, you kept saying in, in describing what your experience was like, how you've come to see mentorship. So for everybody out there, because this is a debate that goes on and on and on about what mentorship mm. is versus coaching and whatnot. Would you share with us your personal definition of mentorship and how you feel that that differs from coaching? Yeah, sure. So for me, mentorship is about uh, a a one-to-one relationship with somebody who has some lived experience or expertise in 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 the arena that you wanna that you wanna the work in. I think coaching is absolutely brilliant and I've definitely worked with coaches throughout my career but coaches ask probing questions help you unlock the answers within yourself but they haven't got the experience to necessarily actually give you clear instruction or guide you it's about unlocking the answers from within yourself whereas that mentor can give you clear steer or advice and signposting as well as asking the probing questions and helping you to work it out for yourself so it's that important combination of support and expertise so probing plus yeah um that actual do this go here that that specific guidance tailored around their that that mutual interest or expertise yeah where coaching is more just like you say unlocking that thing inside of you yeah they're not Um, an expert in the field or Okay, so I'm going to call your bluff here because mm-hmm. you also told us earlier that there's not very many podiatrists. So how do you, how do you get mentorship if, like you, you're the only podiatrist in the village who mm-hmm. wants to do research? Like, what, what do you do in that case? What did you do? Well, I mean, I was lucky that you know, my undergraduate lecturers saw um, for me where to get help and made the connections and encouraged me and gave advice and guidance. And I think everybody has graduated from somewhere. So everyone has a faculty that they can go back to and Mm. ask for advice and guidance. So that would be absolutely um, one recommendation. The other thing I would say is, you know, we all have our communities of practice and so the first thing is just speaking up and asking and saying 
you know, I think I could really do with a mentor right now. <laughs> um, and putting it out there and talking to people. And then it's amazing what networks unfold. And the other thing is, of course, we're we operate in a multi-professional landscape. So I'm a podiatrist. I don't have to have a podiatrist mentor. And I've had lots of wonderful mentors who haven't been podiatrists. And I mentor people who aren't podiatrists. So I think there's something to be gained from. Yeah. I think that's so key. I think especially for um I think they want to call us HCPs now, healthcare professionals. We were NMAPs a year ago, but all of us out there who are clinically minded, who want to do research, who aren't medics. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think within those various professions, depending on that profession itself, I'm going to speak for nursing, the mm. whole academic and research thing is definitely like, a, why would you do that? And it's, it's this really hidden thing, even though it's like mm. one of the biggest professions out there. Um, and so for me, similar to like you're saying, like that, that multidisciplinary mentorship has opened incredible networks and incredible opportunities that I think if I would have stayed exclusive to nursing only would have never happened. Yeah, absolutely. I think as well, when you start asking questions mm -hmm. and and when you perhaps are working with a mentor or you're thinking about mentorship, sometimes it's just reframing your perspective of how you see things and this thing about it's not for me which is where I was coming from um was the first thing that changed when working with a mentor and and this idea that research is for like the really brainy kids or you've got to be really geeky to do research or oh no I'm no good at um data or I'm no good like there's all these reasons a technical technology yeah <laughs> I oh, no, I, I'm no good with tech <laughs> all these reasons that we come up with as to why it might not be quite right for us yeah. but actually if you're a, a clinician out there especially if you're working on the coal haze I bet you at some point in your day something will happen that will be really annoying to you and you go why are we doing it this way this makes no sense or if yeah. only we could just fix this one thing. Yeah. And actually, do you know what research is for all the people that get a bit annoyed with those gripes and you just want to do something to fix it? And that to me is what research is. And that's how that early mentors helped me go. Oh, yeah, well, I could do that. Yeah, I definitely get annoyed quite a lot. <laughs> I definitely can see things that we could be fixing. Yep, I've got some energy and motivation to try and change some of this. So, oh, OK, yeah, then it is for me. I am a clinical academic. That's fine. Oh, my goodness. I absolutely <laughs> love that definition of a, re a clinical academic researcher. I'm so like it needs to yeah. be on a T-shirt. Research is for <laughs> clinicians who have a gripe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Oh, I love that. I love that. So talking about research then, um, you've you've really highlighted on how for you mentorship was really key early on in the stage to kind of like open this whole new world yeah. um you've talked about how mentorship also like really helped you reframe how you felt about your career so then moving forward how mm -hmm. then 
did mentorship play a role within your own personal research and your current program of work at the long-term conditions theme in Arc Wessex? Um, it's, it's, it's played different roles, okay. I've, you know, throughout, throughout the journey. I think um, I had a wonderful mentor um, in Professor Nigel Arder, um, who was based in Oxford and okay. was just the most brilliant epidemiologist and oh. rheumatologist and really role modelled how you can be these two things at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really helped shape my thinking around areas of research so the kind of methods and also the way that groups can work you know with that Oxford group and through him and through that guidance I really could see how this is a functional group and this is how people come together and share ideas and are energized by each other and there's some excitement in what we're doing and you couldn't Mm. help but in that moment be like yes I want to be in that club that's amazing (laughs) um so that really shaped for me that um that bridge around epidemiology and rheumatic and musculoskeletal disease and that it's very much the the focus that I then kind of continued on in my in my research over time I think there's been ups and downs with Mm. that I think if anyone says it's all brilliant they're probably lying it's really (laughs) challenging (laughs) and if you're trying to navigate two it's like navigating two careers at once sometimes Mm. clinical and research at the same time um and I had a brilliant um mentor who um was a much more senior clinical academic who could give me some advice and guidance around strategy and how to cope Mm. with what felt like failure and how to regroup and okay if something's not working how to let that go and approach it in a different way and that was really really valuable part of Mm. again the learning journey I suppose and you I think that's the thing about mentors isn't it that it it might change over time the different career stages different careers that you need different things so you know early on I really benefited from those mentors giving me confidence opening Mm. the door Mm -hmm. showing me the art of the possible Mm -hmm. and setting me up and sending me off that was part of the possible yeah (gasps) they were amazing in the middle like later on as a a struggling postdoc that mentor that could get to the nitty-gritty of okay yeah this isn't working yeah that's not right how are you going to fix it how are we going to change this what are you going to do differently okay um, um, a really different type of mentor but exactly what I needed then then yeah okay Um, okay and now, so I still have a mentor, and and now, and actually also I've reconnected with previous mentors sometimes mm. in, in some ways, um, because it's much more. Uh, it's now I deal with the challenge of being visionary and mm. 
having a big picture and the confidence to have a vision and some goals in a space where there is nobody who's really gone before but also being strategic and having all of the same stuff around but it's got to be doable and and bringing other people with you and being responsible for other people as well mm. and feeling mm. the the brilliance of that but the pressure of that as well so different mm. demands at the moment so it that mentorship has changed yeah but i think i think if we go back to your definition of how which i loved is being those those probing questions combined mm. with a level of expertise to help you you push your career um and your research journey forward then of course it would change Mm. Because at the beginning, you're like, how do you spell research? Yeah, absolutely. And then once you've, you've learned how to spell it, then you're like, because I'm, I'm right now in the struggling postdoc phase. <laughs> yeah. So much fun. And, and I agree, like I have, I have multiple mentors and I think yeah. like it's so important to have, have a mentor in your, yeah. your world. Absolutely. Especially as you also very rightly said, this is not an easy journey. And no. even even in the groups, like that group that you described that you got connected to in Oxford, where it's lovely and it's the cool kids group and everybody wants to be a part of it. It's still not easy. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Thank you. I'm going to press pause on mentorship for a second because I realized at the beginning, although we described who you were, Mm -hmm. We launched so quickly into mentorship. Just tell us a little bit because you you've started to hint at it a bit. What is your area of research and your, oh, your interest? <laughs> I mean, good question. Sometimes I ask myself that now. <laughs> what is it that I actually do? Um, so I am really, really interested and passionate about researching personalised care for people who are living with long term conditions. And that can feel a little bit removed from that original world of epidemiology uh, from where I came from. But really, it kind of, for me, meshes together. And I think that's something that's quite exciting and unique about our research programme that okay. we really need to understand public health and population level data to understand, you know, disease and risk factors of disease and modifiable targets. But they're not all biological these things are knotty problems they're biopsychosocial problems and sometimes some of this stuff is also really better managed when we think about improving supported self-management when we think about shared decision making about how we have healthy conversations um and so i'm really interested in those areas of of health Okay, another quick question. What is personalised care? Oh, good question. <laughs> <laughs> so personalised care is about how we make sure health care is tailored to meet an individual's needs. So it includes okay. these domains of support okay. for self-management, shared decision making. But it might be about activation, so readiness and ability to engage in health and health care. Okay. But all of those things have to be informed by an evidence base. So we need evidence of what we should be doing and how we should be doing it and how we tailor that 
to an individual so it's going from epi which is like global data sets down to the person and how do we get from there to there well that's what I was going to to say is it sounds it sounds to me very interesting but it's also like there's so much movement in loads of different conditions towards personalized medicine Mm. um, and personalized care and that's why I asked the definition of person-centered but for me being a research buff yeah my question is exactly like what you've just alluded to is how do you if you're going to do personalized care Mm person-centered care or personalized medicine how do you do research on that in order to say okay for everybody with fill in the blank condition we need to do x and and the the difference between those is not it's not that it's it's vast <laughs> it's yeah. vast yeah it is and that's where it's there's other skills isn't there that we need then as that healthcare clinician we need to be good at just actually listening Mm. um and that sounds Mm. really obvious but in stretched healthcare systems where you know there's a lot of protocols we're we're quite protocol driven we like that in healthcare um it's really hard where where do you stand as a clinician when somebody in front of you saying yeah but that doesn't work for me I don't want you to follow that protocol let's do something different and how comfortable are we as clinicians to say yeah Okay, maybe. I mean, in my world of podiatry, we have folks who perhaps have long term ulceration. They are at immediate risk of perhaps amputation or Mm. loss of life that, you know, folks are quite unwell sometimes that we're dealing with. But they might be saying, do you know what? I know your protocol says I should come and see you this many times on these particular dates and we should be doing these things. But actually, I I just need a break from treatment or I don't want to do that. Or do I really need those antibiotics right now? Can I make a judgment about whether I think something is infected or does it have to come back to you? How do we share those decisions? How do we manage risk? And support yeah. people to really engage in their care. Mm. It's a it's a challenge, isn't it? I, I agree because I would say, like, how do you, with my own interest here, how do you combine that, which a hundred percent is a, a a morally outstanding principle to guide clinical practice? How do you make that interaction, you know, uh, very focused on that individual, very focused on their wants, very focused mm-hmm. on what matters to them? But at the same time, how do you then make sure that they don't feel abandoned mm. because they how our protocol driven system works means that if they don't come to an appointment, they might get discharged. It means yeah. that a clinician might end up in a different ethical dilemma of potentially not giving them guideline therapy. And it's yeah. like it's a very delicate game. Yeah. And if it goes wrong, who's to blame? I exactly. mean, a, we, we have a no blame culture, we say, mm-hmm. but it is, it's a really you know when you start scratching beneath the surface of this stuff it's really it's really difficult and people want to ask then and this is where that interface with epi comes in because people go well hang on what is the risk 
what's the risk of treatment A versus treatment option B? And then we go, okay, we need some data to be able to tell you that. Yeah. And that's where the epi comes in. And that's where we apply our, you know, epidemiological knowledge, where we apply our our understanding of public health so that we can communicate in a better way to make individual level decisions. And it sounds so obvious, but actually the gulf between these things can be quite huge sometimes. And there's so much, there's so much more research we need. There's so much more evidence we need to answer the questions for folks. And and I really think too, like, um, it's something that I've started from following my PhD, getting a lot more interested in because being clinical, very clinical driven and a lot of research is very clinically driven and Mm -hmm. even qualitative research. It's all about those like experiences around a clinical Mm. condition, a treatment or whatever. But something that has really opened my eyes recently, which connects into that personalized care and that, for lack of a better word, I think at this time point, art of mm. uh, healthcare interaction is actually trying to better understand that healthcare interaction and that that patient who's who wants help and that clinician who's warring, and I use that word purposely, with the protocol driven complex healthcare system yeah. that regardless of the country you're in we all fit in yeah um in order to to find that healing pathway yeah. even if you don't alter the disease but that the patient can still experience a degree of healing around some of those other factors that illness puts on a person yeah I could talk to you it's, about this all day. I know, I know. And there's so many examples, isn't there, of, of challenging areas that we could yeah. delve into, I'm sure. Oh, definitely. I'm going to switch back now yeah. because otherwise we'll be here all day. Um, so with that, I can I can totally now see how mentorship for you and your area of expertise, given that delicate balance between those two very different worlds, like massive population sets and N of one population set, um, how mentorship and having really strong networks around you would be really beneficial. I'm gonna scale back again and ask for our listeners out there, how, how do you find a mentor, especially if you're the only fill in the blank clinical speciality in your hospital who is even interested in research? And maybe bad case scenario, but I've heard about it a lot. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest. You go to your manager and you're, you say to your manager, I'd really like to get involved with research. And your manager goes, Re what? Yeah. Re research. Yeah. Uh, we won't support a master, so you can't do research. You know, like and and not. So how do you, if you're out there yeah. at the early stage, how do you how do you find somebody? The first thing I would say is the the people you need to connect with don't know you exist. <laughs> until you start 
<laughs> making a bit of noise like, until you start popping your head up and putting your hand up and saying I really want to talk to somebody um the people that you want to connect with won't won't know that how so they can't reach out and connect with you however much they might like to so the place to start is to just be brave for, and and this is the really awesome thing about research I haven't met a researcher yet who doesn't want to talk about their research <laughs> or, or share their enthusiasm in some way. So oh, if there's any if there's a paper that you've read, if there is anything that you've come across that that is connected in some way to the area that you want to start to be involved in, every paper will have the email address for the corresponding author. Email them just be brave and yeah. say hi this is me I'm Linz I don't even know how to start a conversation with you but I'd really love to have a, the chance to chat and that's all you need to say and then you've made your first connection and that first connection will help you make the next connections and the next and the next and the next and I've absolutely done that and you know it feels really uncomfortable but get past the uncomfortableness and reach out and contact people so everybody can do that that you know that's where to start the the lack of research or support in your own departments that's why you just need to get a little bit cunning and this is where the reframing comes in because Oh, gosh, there's so many times where I've been in a particular clinical department or other. Um, and I totally get that, you know, this is not a priority. We can't do this. And I think what I've slowly learned over the years is sometimes you've got to cut your losses and move. Okay. At times, and I and I think that. no, I know because people will say, you know, you'd expect me to say reframe it and say, well, what's the what's this naughty problem? Let's try and fix this naughty problem, and you get research in by subterfuge. <laughs> and of course, improvement methods are vast. Start with audits, do some service evaluations, build those into a program of quality improvement. Then you get to research, and you can you can grow an improvement culture that includes research but actually sometimes sometimes it might be easier to go do you know what I'm swimming against the tide and the reality is I'm going to get exhausted and drown or wash away here mm. what I really need to do is get in a lifeboat and go somewhere else where there's other people swimming with me in the same direction and mm. and then together you can go back and tackle some of those tricky environments but when it's just you and you're right at the beginning mm. it, we do also have to face reality sometimes so I'm always like yay come on champion. but there is a bit of being realistic yeah and actually, good environments and good teams around you will mean you're infinitely more likely to be effective and mm. make some meaningful changes that mm. then can spread in other ways. 
Mm. Oh, that is that is so powerful. Like I love that uh, analogy of like stop trying to like push through the shore break. I mean, we're close to the sea here, so we talk mm-hmm. in sea terms, and I, I love the sea. So you need to stop trying to break through the shore break where your only yeah. progress is that you're drowning. Yeah. Um, and you're getting bashed on the reef and bashed yeah. on the rocks. And grab yeah. a life life raft, go out to sea, and then with the help and support and mentorship of other people, then you can learn yeah. to surf the wave in and avoid the shore break. Yeah. Absolutely. Love it. Very <laughs> cool. Very cool. Oh, I'm so glad. So I don't know if you know this or not. I can't remember if I told you in our email communications, but I'm so grateful. You were a recommendation from a previous ah. guest. Okay. So you're here by popular demand. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> and I'm so grateful because although cards on the table, we're both mm. technically in the long-term conditions theme. It's mm. so big and has so many people. And because yeah. your focus is on a different sort of area, yeah. but I might be converting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's been absolutely lovely to uh, talk to you, to get your insights on on mentorship, because it's definitely, I know for me, where I'm at, it's given me a bit of like, oh, I'm not the only one. It, yeah, it is. I guess the other thing to add that is that there are schemes out there as well. You know, oh, okay. there are formal mentorship schemes yeah. that exist and, you know, not in every country, but, you know, there's many schemes will welcome international um mm. members and fellows students as well um so definitely you know if you're a member of a professional body ask them if they have a mentorship scheme running and if they don't why not can they set one up because they should um and if you're yeah. part of a, a you know professional body set one up um it's really valuable and there are clinical group you know there's there are lots of different formal mm. schemes as well so if you're really struggling to think I, I can't make that first step of reaching out to somebody then think about applying onto a formal scheme as well I, I totally agree and I think um especially at the minute the the powers that be the government mm. and leaders of the uh, university like so HEE so higher education institution for everybody who's not in the mm. UK and um, NHS England and the NIHR are really starting to push for these non-medic researchers mm. and I think like it's one of the many reasons why I've started this podcast is I know how hard it can be as a clinician to find somebody that mm. you feel you can connect to without like for so for me the thought of reaching out to the corresponding author I'm like mm. yeah as if I'd ever do that but what I did instead is I started getting connected through like my professional associations and asking yeah. the questions there. So I took it and now like I don't even think twice about reaching out to a corresponding author. Yeah. But I think there are multiple ways to skin the cat and there yeah. are professional supported programs out there. And so I think, you yeah. know, whoever you are out there, if you're thinking about research, you know, just dive in. Yeah, absolutely. 
it'll be grand. You might get bashed in the shore break a little bit, but it'll well, make you a stronger the, swimmer. Well, the thing is, as well, sometimes, you know, we think, oh, they seem really scary because they're very, they might appear to us successful by whatever definition of success we have. You know, they're, they're, they're awesome in, in some ways. I guarantee you those people would have failed just as many times as they'll have achieved something because that's the nature of research. You know, for every grant we submit, there's one that doesn't get funded, probably more that don't get funded. And, you know, (laughs) I think that's something that maybe we don't we don't always share, you know, the fact that it's taken, you know, we've just had a paper accepted. It's probably taken about 18 months to get that paper over the line and accepted. And you don't see the stuff that happens behind because nobody tweets going, we we tweet saying, yeah, look at our new paper. What we don't tweet is the, oh my God, we're in month 12 and we've got more reviewer comments. And And the reviewer obviously doesn't know how to read because, yeah, no, I'm with you. Our work is amazing. Um, But I think that's where the mentor as well can help just buffer some of that and go, no, no, no. Like in reality, actually, we're all human. We're all just trying to do our best here and... I think that's the thing, you know, when it, when you think things are really scary or approaching a mental could be hard, just remember, we're we're all human. We've all started somewhere. We've all failed at something. Um, yeah. Well, I think, I think, and this is based on people I've talked to, I think actually um, clinicians who, to one degree or another, convert to researchers, Mm. I think they struggle a lot more with the failure journey Mm. than anybody else, because I think as clinicians, uh, we are trained and we see that if we fail or Mm. make errors, people get hurt, people die. And that shifting in perspective to I've started to embrace research as much more an entrepreneurial model. Mm. So rather than a healthcare model, I see it as an entrepreneurial model. And yeah, yeah, you do a pitch and it gets accepted great or it gets rejected. Well, maybe they weren't cool enough for you. You rejig it. <laughs> maybe you pitch it's it again. Not the right time. Yeah. Yeah. It, but that's what know, an experiment is, isn't it? If, yeah. if you know the answer, it's not an experiment. And that's what research is. In, in exactly. It's many different forms experimenting. trying things out see if we can just incrementally make improvements and the only way to experiment is you have to embrace the fact that your career is likely going to have a longer catalog of failures than successes (laughs) (laughs) yep learning (laughs) learning opportunities we'll call them (laughs) <laughs> one, of, one of my mentors, he told me this and I just absolutely loved it. Like he he actually said that his his belief about success around his research is that he will consider him successful if most of his work gets proven wrong. Oh, brilliant. Isn't that fascinating? Because mm. he's constantly in that pursuit of getting closer and closer and yeah. closer. 
to better knowledge, more information. Mm -hmm. And so actually success means you're getting stuff out there, you're trying, you have failures, but your Mm -hmm. failures and what you publish or even your successes encourage more people to go down that pathway and then they learn a little bit more and they learn Mm -hmm. a little bit more. And I absolutely, like, I love, I love that. Amen. Um. Conscious of the time, we are almost out of time here. So very, very quickly, um, any last words of wisdom around mentorship? Um, or do we think we've covered it all? Um, I mean, I think the, I think we've been quite clear, haven't we? Having a mentor is really important. It's really awesome. And a mentor can come from anywhere and potentially beat anyone. And yeah. it's and a mentor will different mentors at different times they come and go but it starts with just being really brave yeah and, and reaching out and yeah. starting a conversation and everything else flows after that oh that's 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 perfect Lindsay Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your wisdom with us. Um, For everybody out there, as you probably are getting used to now with our episodes in the description, I will leave more details about Lindsay, where you can find her, how to find her out on social media, some of her publications, um, things like that. So if you want to reach out to her, if you're a podiatrist out there, you'll be able to find her and get in touch. Um, thank you again so much for Lindsay for coming on and taking the time out of your thank likely you very busy me. day. <laughs> no, you. my pleasure. I, I, <laughs> I like I do this podcast um, in sort of like my own time and free time. And mm. it's honestly the best thing I've ever done. I find it so much fun and so inspiring. And really the idea it. of sharing these conversations just for the whole world to dive into mm. just makes me so excited because I think it just helps. All those people out there who might be thinking, well, should I? Oh, there's nobody that there'll be a bit of a catalog of all of these different people from different walks of life that are are doing research. Anyway, thank you so much. And um, I have no doubt I'll run into you at some point in the future. Yes. (laughs) Research is a very small world. Absolutely. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Bye. Don't go away. Up next, we have the top three takeaways from this week's podcast by Dr. Rosalind Austin. What a great conversation. Lindsay was amazing, wasn't she? Thank you to everybody who recommended her to come on the podcast to share her experiences around mentorship. You were 100% right. She was really, really great. Um, my top three takeaways from our conversation um, uh, around mentorship I loved her definition of it, and it was a unique definition that I'd not heard before. Mentorship is the combination of asking probing questions together with that individual, leading those questions, having the expertise to actually offer you advice and guidance along your journey. And I loved that because it, it's, it's like she said, and I loved how she said it. It's mentorship is that art of showing you what and how is possible within your career as a clinical academic researcher. So love that. The second thing that I really enjoyed about her conversation is, you know, she was 
she was alone. There's not many podiatrists in the world and there's even fewer doing research. And so she's gathered around her a real um, interdisciplinary team um, that offer her mentorship. And that was people from epidemiologists to medical people to other re- nurses and other researchers. And I think that's such a brilliant way of looking at it. And it's like she said, it it actually might be seen as an advantage because it will give you a wider scope. It will give you different perspectives that will then shape how both you see your career pathway as well as you see potential answers to your research questions. So I found that really, really fascinating. Um, And then a third thing that is becoming a theme on this podcast (laughs) is being brave. If you're out there and you're a clinician and you're interested in research, but you are the only fill in the blank um, clinician who is interested in research within your department, be brave. Go to your association, go to your research department and your trust, go to, you know, like like Lindsay suggested, um, go to an author of a paper that you really liked and hunt them down and reach out to them or even look up some of the guests in the podcast. Everybody who's involved in research becomes so passionate about it and recognizes how how key it is that we actually add more people to the band of researchers, especially around healthcare, because it's such a complex issue then the better that we'll be able to change things, the more we'll be able to get more knowledge. And so in general, we're very happy to talk to people who are interested. So just be brave. Send that private message on Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever, or send that email. And yeah, come do research. So those are my three main takeaways from our conversation with Lindsay. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation I know I enjoyed listening to it and creating it for you don't forget um, it's really important that you like comment and subscribe on these podcasts either on YouTube or on your podcasting platform of choice excellent news I have finally managed to get it available on Apple Podcasts. so everybody out there it's you should now be able to find it pretty easily um, yeah so Thanks so much for listening. And as I said during the podcast, I will leave in the description how you can find Lindsay, read more about her research and the different places that she's connected to. And um, I will see you again soon. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.